0: This call is now being recorded.
1: Uh, hello, I'm I'm Ben Kitchens of the History Voyager, and I'm here with Alex Johnson. How are you doing, sir? Doing oh, good. How about you? Oh, I'm doing all right, and I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while now about this, and I'm sure we have a lot to cover, so let's just dive into it. Um... You would describe yourself or I guess have been described as an activist. Correct?
0: Uh yeah, I mean there's you know, that's my basics.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're so you also cover the like a lot of things. You you cover uh let's see, you were at the protest last week, right? And you were doing uh let's see, you also deal with very conspiracy theory, you know, covering very conspiracy theories, QAnon, flat Earth, that kind of thing, isn't that right? Oh
0: uh, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten into uh, QAnon uh, yet, but there's, they seem to be, you know, more and more, uh, you know, more and more prominent. You know, there's, uh, I'm not sure if this person was actually elected or not, or if it's still like in a primary, but they have. Like there's a Cuban on person like running for Congress now. I think, so yeah, yeah I'm yeah. definitely gonna start looking into them more. But yeah, I've done a whole lot of journalist type things as uh-huh. well. Uh,
1: what have, what all of you covered as a journalist?
0: Um, so I kind of started uh in I was this. Know, like somewhere around, like, I think maybe, like, 2011, uh, I started doing some, like, citizen journalism stuff, uh, for, uh, the Occupy movement. There is, I noticed that there is a lot of stuff where, or probably, like, the biggest thing was the, uh, the West Coast shutdown, where they were trying to, uh, that they were trying to get the, you know, unions that control the, uh, the ports in the West Coast to shut down. And that was something that I, I was really, you know, surprised about because as I was looking at it, you know, these things, you know, this is like a business that's open, you know, 24/7, 365 for like forever. Some of these ports had never been had never been shut down like ever for for any reason, and throughout the whole West Coast, you know, some of the biggest receiving, you know, centers like in the world they you know, people talked to them and they said, Hey, you know, we wanna we wanna show solidarity, we wanna do something that's important and they got, you know, the you know, they got different unions to walk off and then in a couple of places, like after you have after you lose so many people you can't do anything, they actually just had, you know, a foreman come out and just say, Hey, like we're just shutting the whole port down. And some of these were places that had not had any sort of interruption for twenty years, forty years. You know, going all the way back to like World War Two, and they had like a dozen of them closed, and there was no mention anywhere. But they, in uh, so before this happened, they said there's like a call like online that I wanted people to say, hey, you know, here's some uh, here's people to be in contact with. We just want to have as many news outlets and people involved as possible. You know, so I signed up and, you know, I, I wrote some stuff and put it online, and that was kind of like the beginning of it for me.
1: What was the, um I guess, well, here's a thought. Can you compare and contrast the Occupy movement with, I guess, the the Black Lives Matter protesting going on right oh, yeah. now? I, mean,
0: I think a lot of it is, uh I mean, so the, I guess the, the similarity is obviously, you know, both uh, left-wing movements and there's a, a connection to uh, the Civil Rights Movement, but they are sort of, you know, connected to each other also. So I guess, like, the, the initial thread is, uh you know, King's last uh, big protest, the Poor People's Campaign, where, so this is an idea that he actually got uh from Malcolm X, where in a speech he said that if poor people, he said that the, you know, that the real problem is that you have, uh and I guess a lot of people always thought of him as saying this in sort of like a vague way, but he was uh, he didn't articulate it in, in, the, in the original speech, but he was actually talking about like a, a very specific, uh, event in the history of America, and, like in the year, like uh, 1640, I think it's called Johnson's Revolt. There was actually an uprising that involved poor white people and, uh, people, uh, you know, Africans that had just ended a period of indentured servitude, and there was a guy they got to get people together, and he says, hey, so, You know, we're doing all this work, and you think that it's only affecting things locally, but actually what's happening is this guy that owns this farm has a deal with the king of England, and he's getting all this money, and he's like, you're not getting paid at all. You just got, like, a free ride over, which didn't cost this guy anything because he got that as part of this deal, and he's making all this money, and you're not getting anything. And then at the end of this contract, you're just here, and you end up having to effectively give this guy money, you know, to, to continue living here. So there was a revolt, and then after that, you, you can notice that in that area, things start to, things start to change. Where there's laws that uh, where they started pushing things towards, uh, they wanted people, uh, free blacks, to have papers on them at all time that distinguish them from slaves. Then there is a law that came out the very next year in that area that said that they were, uh, you could no longer have anyone of European birth in indentured servitude or slavery, and then that spread nationwide. And the effect of that was that they saw what happened if you have all the four people just come together and attacking the upper class. So to stop that, they says, well, we can't just have an interest and in slavery and free people. We have to have this permanent underclass of slaves. And then we'll tell these other people. So basically what he's talking about is like the invention of racism to stop, you know, class solidarity. And that sort of, you know, and the attempt to do this and the struggles against that just sort of rolls forward and forward over time. And uh, King picked up this – the whole the strategy of occupation, whereas, like I said in the speech, uh, uh, Malcolm X said that, you know, to, to roll things back, what needed to happen is that you – people needed to just go to D.C. and say, we're going to be here until there's change, and we're just going to fill up all the space everywhere. And MLK took that and he put that into the Poor People's Campaign – and he had a giant march on DC and they were there I think it lasted about a week. And military when was came that? in. That was when, when uh so that's so that's the year he died, so I'm thinking this is uh this is like sixty four I think.
1: Okay. Now let me let me back you up. The I've heard about the indentured servitude. Obviously. Well not obviously, but through my I guess my coursework I I know about indentured servitude. Um, but where was that where they started to where they began to separate the African slaves from the free Africans from the poor whites where Where was that in North America? do you know
0: so it's uh so it's it's a very long process, like the whole period of like the whole period i think is about roughly about a uh, hundred years. But uh, a lot of people have pointed out that you know the so it's basically from actually I don't need to grab my computer so I can find the thing but it's basically from this uh, from this uprising is the beginning of it in about so I think that's somewhere around like 1640 1680 and then basically uh, actually if I remember correctly I think it's actually two events with people both named Johnson. Because the end of that system is there is a court case where you actually have, um a, an African man here who was initially came over here as an interdentured servitude and then became a uh, slave owner himself and he, uh, took someone to court and got the court to agree that this person was, uh, should be enslaved to him from life instead of uh-huh. You know, instead of just being out, but it's uh, like so it's about but eighty to a hundred year process involving court cases and you know various like uprisings. Yeah, wow. There's a whole like legal history of slavery, which you know obviously. Yeah. The, the thing is, like uh, I think that the thing that's missing is that people. Uh, it's very easy to look at all at the legal history of like slavery and racism to have people just say that well that's the law, and you know that isn't necessarily. You know, describe how people thought, but that's the, that, that's the real yeah. effect of the law is that as all as all of these things you know changed and became more formalized, people you know it, it didn't just it wasn't just you know people work so if, like from that so again with the with that class court yeah. case, what you have is a situation that so this was confirmed by federal courts. What happened is that like overnight, you had people that were. So, in, you know, like, even in this case of the guy that's gonna you know, making the court case, he was kidnapped from a place in West Africa and brought here, and but they they didn't have an idea. Like, this court case established the idea of slavery for life, you know, in North America. So they didn't have that. So even though he had been kidnapped, the idea is still indentured servitude. But after seven years, you know, he had learned the language and he had learned how to like read and write. So after the end of it, they basically just came up to him and was like, all right, that's it. And he was like, what? Like, I there's, you know, but he would have any idea of how to, you know, how to get home. And no one, you know, no one around there even knew, like, they was like, oh, yeah, you're from Africa. They didn't know how to, you know, he spoke Arabic where he was from. Like, they had, there's no one to talk to. Like, he had no way to even start about how to get home, although they're joining a slave, getting on a slave ship and just hoping that nothing bad would happen to him. So he decided uh, to stay here. And after that, like, he was just able to walk off. But after that court case, overnight, everybody, everyone else that was here was in the same situation where the idea is that after seven years, they would just be, uh, theoretically, you could just walk off the plantation and go somewhere else or become a farmer. But after that court case, you didn't have that anymore. So that, and that, so that's where you have the the whole idea of having to have like papers. And so overnight, that idea, it just, it doesn't, so you have people, like you said, like in the revolt, you had a situation where you had black and white people who had both, who were indentured at the time, or had recently been indentured, and there was a thing where it's like, hey, you know, they said they're going to take care of people, but they're not really taking care of you, they're exploiting you. But then you have this court case that says, now, on one side of this line, you have people that are going to be born into slavery and can't get out of it, and then on the other end of this line, you've got people that are in a bad situation, but theoretically, you, it, it could always be, be better. You could jump onto a gold rush, you could invent something, you could run for office, you could write a book, and that's where you have this idea that, you know, as Howard Zinn said or I think it's Howard Zinn where he says that the uh or actually that's no, not Howard Zinn, but the basically the quote is that the, the socialism never took root in America because poor people were convinced that they were actually just temporarily embarrassed millionaires.
1: Well that yeah um, and you actually hit on something that a buddy of mine, actually, and I last night were talking about, or talking around. And that was, uh we were talking about, he was seeing all these signs, right? All these signs all around town about, you know, if you catch COVID in here, you can't sue us kind of thing. Yeah. And what we were saying was, you know, that'll work until it doesn't. Like, that'll work until the right person catches COVID or whatever, you know? And my thought is, like, my actual thought is there's one of two ways this whole COVID thing is going to go, right? You're either going to get, like we were saying, you're going to get somebody with the right amount of social media followers or whatever, and they're going to catch COVID and they're going to sue and things are going to change or you're normalizing covid-19 <laughs> you're just normalizing the idea that wear a mask go out try to do things if you catch covid we're sorry <laughs> you know um which brings me um so fundamentally this is a history podcast so i like to ask two i like to ask all my guests basically two questions Uh, when did you become aware of COVID-19, number one? And when did you become aware that it was going to be a big deal in America?
0: I think, um, let's see. There was a thing, uh, so that was, I think that I basically became aware of it just, uh, like, after it had already, probably, like, right before uh, right before the, it, it actually got here, there yeah, was a. Yeah, because it was, uh, actually, I guess I could just. Like February ish? I feel like, for me, like, it, it was, like, I might have, uh, I probably, like, saw something, like, on Facebook, you know, uh, like in February, but I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really think about it until March, because I remember, that i read something about it uh probably I guess, like maybe like late february and the first thing that i remember thinking about is that the you know like the official you know biological name is uh, SARS-CoV-2 and i was looking at that and i was like oh well this is just like a version of SARS and like i remember reading something because i remember thinking you know there's a whole lot of talk about you know SARS and bird and all this kind of stuff and it was just like well like, whatever happened to this thing? And I remember looking at it a couple of years later, and basically, like, the answer was that it just mutated into uh, a weaker form, a uh, weaker form of itself, and that was, you know, that, that was basically it. So I remember looked at that, and I was like, oh, well, if this is SARS, like, I'm sure it would be, like, the the, the, the same thing. Okay, so this is. All right, first case in Georgia it says it was like March second. Yeah, so I definitely heard about it in like late February, and then I think when yeah, so it's pretty much like the first week of March is when I realized that it was going to be like a, a, a big deal because there was there was something. I feel like it was like a Wednesday where I came into work and everyone was talking about. uh like I, I don't know what they were saying on the news. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a TV. I don't watch like local news or anything. But everyone came in and they were like, man, I can't find toilet paper anywhere. And I was like, toilet paper? Like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, it's the whole like, coronavirus thing. And I was like, this is a lung disease. Like, what are you guys talking about? Like, so, like I didn't tune that out. But then there was. Yeah, you know, it just like every day, every day after that, it just kind of, it just got bigger and bigger. So it went from people talking about not being able to find toilet paper on a Wednesday. And then like the next day, the conversation was, oh, you know, I think somebody, you know, so, you know, we got this big airport here. It's only a matter of time before somebody gets it. And then I think like the day after that was, uh, it was, was like when they had like the first case. And then in between, I think there's only like a like a week in between like the first case. So we had the there was the was the it was like a guy who was like a man and his son bringing it into I heart field. Remember that. And then like the crazy thing about it was that it because I remember reading about it like in February they were talking about like, oh yeah, you know, it's a very contagious, you know, illness and that, that's really the problem and not necessarily the fatality rate and the symptoms and all those other things because, you know, uh, the worst disease that you can imagine that does if it takes a long time for other people to catch it, you know, that's you know, if you look at like, um, like what not, not pneumonia, um, is it like typhoid? I, like well, I like, mean, like
1: let me think, cholera. There's well, there's cholera, there's uh, hmm, let me think. I know, like, Ebola, if Ebola ever got. Big over here, it'd be, we'd be, you know, it'd be a problem, basically, like a serious problem, because I remember like when Ebola came here for like, and like three people got it or whatever it was, some number less than ten, got it, and people, oh well, there's doctors, well, you know, we, we've got doctors in a medical, you know, medical system, I'm like, yeah, but. Think about all the people that don't really have access to that,
0: right? I guess the tuberculosis <laughs> is like is what I was thinking of. So it's like if you can imagine. Uh, I remember uh, being over at a friend's house a couple of years ago, and it's like late at night, and there's this thing that comes on. Uh, it's like some sort of documentary about tombstone So the guy, uh, so you got Doc Holliday, He's a young. is it a doctor or a dentist. Yeah, he's a you know general practitioner. And he gets tuberculosis, and it ruins his practice because he's a doctor, and he's sick, and there's no cure. So, obviously, you're not going to, like, even, you know, people are still not sure about how this thing spreads, but, like, a doctor with the disease, like, that's just like right now. So, like, his whole practice, you know, dries up, and he basically, the cure is to, like, move to a different climate where, it, where his lungs won't be quite, you know, quite so inflamed. But it's like imagine like that was something where it's like well we don't know what the you know he does die you know pretty soon after that but it's or but it's like that you kind know, of like imagine you know something like when you have something like that where it's like yeah you're not gonna like live to the age eighty but you could slow it like even without any sort of treatment you know it's like well you could just move somewhere and then he's he's in gunfights he's gambling he's in bars none of the people he's around you know, end up catching this disease from him and dying. You know, they're, you know, so you got something like that. You know, that's, that's still a terrible way to die, but not horribly contagious. You know, he's not wearing a mask or anything for the rest of his life. So it's like if you get something like that, you are know, like, oh, well, you know, that's not so bad, even though it's a lung disease and it hurts you and all that kind of stuff. But imagine tuberculosis and every single day everyone that has it spreads it to someone else. Like that would be... That's clearly not good. And the coronavirus is even worse than that because really it's like every day everyone that has it is spreading it to like 10 people. Is is the, the map they were talking about and it's like, wow. You got you go from like one person or like even what looks like the doubling thing there. So I'm like, well, it's not quite 10 people, but it's like one person gives it to two people and those two people are going to give it to two people. And then the the original person is also still giving it to people. So it's like you go from, like, one to six, like, the next day. And I was looking at that, and I was like, man, is this really how this is? It's like, I don't know how like, exponential numbers work, but I'm like, can any actual, like, physical thing really be that contagious? And then right here in Georgia, like, that, like, the exact pattern happened. You've got one guy. So the the guy and his son probably didn't catch it at that. I mean, they caught it at the same event, but probably not, like, the exact same day. But one of them caught it from the other. They come here and then uh, the kid goes to school, and then at, at that school, uh, the school is closed with no, with no confirmed cases. Unfortunately for everyone in the whole state of Georgia, that same school, a bunch of those teachers went to some sort of meeting, and so like a week later, there was two confirmed cases at, uh, at two different schools, and neither one of those is the school that, that, that kid went to. So it spread from, so it spread to three schools in a period of a week, and both of those schools were closed because the teacher got it. And then after closing the school, they're like, "Oh, actually, a bunch of the students already got it there." So within one week, we went from like one case to like ten cases. And I looked at that uh, at the the week where they were closing those two schools, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is going to be a problem."
1: Yeah, 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 I mean, my thing is like, um, well, everybody on my podcast has heard my story, and I, I think you have too. But my thing is like, when I was laying on the bed, and I was looking at these videos from Italy, and I was like, look at these people, like, in the, they're laying on the floor in the hospital, like, Jesus. You know, but, I mean, I think the other thing people are learning is like you know the lung involvement is not the only thing you know i think i mean you know people are are learning that, but my sister, who's a nurse, will tell you that not everybody's knowing that but um anyway, so how are you making it through COvid yourself you i
0: mean the, uh, i mean i'm i mean personally like you know i'm I'm doing fine i mean my uh so I work in i t uh, so, basically, our solution to things is just to uh is just to leave the office so because obviously you can't have uh so the company actually also changed companies recently so the first job was a place in uh so the downtown atlanta uh near a marta station and you know everyone's uh, the company gave everybody a marta card, so a lot of people were you know, high self included were you know getting there on marta and there was like, I, I was looking at it, and I was like, man, if we have to go back into the office, I'm going to have to quit this job, because parking in downtown Atlanta is insane, and there's no one I'm getting on MARTA during this whole thing. And then it's like, even if you have, it's like, well, you know, you can wear a mask and all this stuff. But it's – we have to, like, walk through a mall to get to, uh you know, to, to get to the office. And Where do you, you – know, just for the folks, where do you work?
1: I mean, uh, like, what building do you work in? You know, tell me no, the company.
0: So, what? uh So it was a Peachtree Center Marta station. Sure, there's oh, a yeah. there's a skyscraper, like basically like on top of that, like it's. So basically, we you know I'd get our face you know get our Marta close to the house, and then go to Peachtree Center, and then I would just walk up the stairs from Peachtree Center into the mall, and then there's another set of stairs going from the mall into the office building.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, so Peachtree Center, I mean, that's, I mean, I remember that as a dead mall, essentially, but you're saying, it's, well, it doesn't have to be that dead, um, basically. Um, so, um, so you're doing okay. Um, that's good to hear. Um, what do you think, um, so essentially, what do you think the, uh the changes from COVID is going to be? And, I mean, well, first, first of all, do you first of all do you think the government's going to be making the changes, or is it going to be people or businesses or what?
0: I mean, the government is involved in certain things, but I think it's it's going to be you know eighty ninety percent you know the ninety percent you know changes of, of people. So, like the thing that's happening right now is that you know obviously you can see this here in Georgia, but the the main thing that is happening that is so it's kind of like you know, the government ha- is creating a, a structure by doing well by actively doing things and also by not doing certain things. And that sort of creates the box. And then businesses are gonna create like an outline and then the rest of it is gonna come from people sort of reacting to you know to those two things. So sort of like the the box that we're in is that uh the Republican Party and the federal government in general has decided that they don't want businesses to have any sort of legal liability for exposing people uh to the virus. So that's the so that is the major thing. So there you know McConnell's trying to get this, you know, enshrined at the federal level, and we also have uh some state laws that they are that they're working on right now, you know, doing the same thing. And so basically what that means is that you're not going to have any sort of situation where someone – the the goal is to basically avoid a situation where a business that shouldn't be open to begin with uh is opened, you know, and, the, you know, we're already not really doing any state closures anymore. So Georgia, you know, we're now number one. Even – so we've got more cases per day than New York, which is insane because we're only – we're like – I mean, I know we're in the top twenty as far as population, but this the just the fact that that is that big of a difference between here's what happens when you have the whole state closed for a long period of time, and then here's what happens when you never really close the state to begin with. But yeah, so the 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 initial thing is that if you you know if, if you're not closing the state and you have businesses that really shouldn't be open to begin with, and then the signal that's being sent to businesses by having the state open is that well clearly the pandemic must be over. So you've got people that were never really convinced about wearing masks and social distancing and all that kind of stuff to begin with. And then on top of that, you have, you know, their business is closed, you know, they've had sort of problems, and now they're back. So if that guy, you know, you've got a nightclub that's open, or like, I guess, like, yeah, like, here's like an actual case. So bars were closed uh, in, you know, so bars were closed in April, and then there's the phased reopening of the state uh, in May. So then you have the thing happen, uh, you know, so definitely by June, you know, bars are open. So I know a guy that has a, a, a job in Alpharetta, and he's there's a bar there where they're open in June, and then somebody uh, tested positive, so they close, they wait a couple of weeks, uh, everyone gets tested, everyone else is okay, so everyone else goes back to work, and they're there for about two weeks. And then in July, uh, a, another person, another employee of the bar uh, tests positive, so they have to close again then in a couple of weeks. So then mid-July, you know, they're opening back up. Now, in, like, the Netherlands or whatever, someone that did that would be definitely exposed to, like, a legal, you know, you, you should be able to sue them because you, the, the business, you either should have taken more precautions or really this should even, even have opened up. If you can't sue anyone, then that means that nothing ever comes back. Okay, nothing comes back on the business. So why would you? What? Why would you close anything? And why even pretend to have you know any sort of measures in place? And then the other thing that the federal government is doing, which they uh, just did uh, on Friday, is that there was a, a a regulation that basically forced everybody to send testing data directly to the CDC. And In that rate, so there's also another part of the regulation that also said that uh, any sort of new testing procedure developed also has to be directly approved by the CDC. So the idea is that you can't have someone just making up their own tests, testing people in secret, and then claiming that everyone's okay. But now that has been uh, repealed, so you now have a situation where people can do that, where even if you can't avoid legal liability, what we now have is a situation where companies can create their own tests, test people secretly. You don't have to send it to any sort of government agency, and then even if you do get sued, you go to the court and you say, hey, uh, here's our test. Everyone other than this person tested negative. Therefore, we're going to say that uh, if, if this is a business that doesn't have customers like, say, a warehouse where there's no one else coming in other than employees, uh, our test shows that no one else here has it, therefore, uh, we're gonna say that this guy, uh, contracted the virus, uh, outside, and therefore we don't have any legal liability. Well, the CDC wanted to say, wanted to protect people by saying, no, we're not gonna do that. Everyone's gonna take the same test, and if you have something different, we still have to, to look at it. But now you could, uh, I mean, theoretically, they don't even have to test people. They could just say, no, we, we're just gonna say that, uh, this, we're just gonna blatantly say that, Anyone claiming that they got the virus at work, uh, we're just going to say that's a lie, and we don't have to do, and you know, you can't do anything about it.
1: So, okay, I want you to put your, uh, like your your future hat on or whatever. Um, what do you think the effect of that? I mean, let's let's say like Biden doesn't win, or whatever. Let's say that let's leave Biden out of it. Let's say that. The world doesn't. That part of the world doesn't change, right? Right. What do you think the effect of that is going to be?
0: I think that. Yeah.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: I mean, so it's like the. I mean, the the basic scenario. I mean, sort of like the the bird's eye view of it is that you know there's people. So there's the idea that you, I mean, you kind of have like be, four basic, you know, sort of scenarios, right? So there's no vaccine, uh, we get a vaccine, but it has serious problems, uh, we get a vaccine, but not everyone takes it, or, and then there's like the best case scenario, we get a vaccine, works great, uh, and, you know, basically everyone takes it. So, what's so scenario? We, or, actually, yeah, I would say, yeah, I'd say probably about four scenarios, not five, yeah.
1: There's a fifth scenario, which is everybody put, everybody who wants to live puts on a serious mask and goes about their life and treats a mask the way you would, say, uh, something you have to replace every every once and again, right? And But what you wouldn't have out of that, I don't think, eventually, is you wouldn't have restaurants. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know like- and then within each of these scenarios, there's, I guess, like the big things that I have to think about are, so you've got, you know, what's the effect on sports, what's the effect on restaurants, you know, what's the effect on, like, schools, and then also, like, offices. Uh, the thing that I've really been surprised about, and, I mean, obviously, some of this is, is going to change because we're, I mean, we're vaguely maybe at the, so assuming that we can get a vaccine, which most but pretty much everyone seems to be assuming at this point. So that seems to be – uh so the ultimate nightmare scenario it looks like we're going to be able to avoid. But the the thing that I've really been surprised about is that people's – the thought process towards large public events uh has not – it doesn't seem to have changed at this point. There's lots of people that are talking about wanting to go to concerts – Next year and big events and a lot of, uh, if you're on Facebook and you're following, like, any sort, like, the official, you know, the official page of any sort of, you know, reoccurring gathering, like, say, DragonCon, people are already asking, well, you know, can I roll my, if I, if I prepaid, can I just roll it over to next year? Uh, and then there's also things, like, even in July, uh, there's an event here in Atlanta called the Atlanta, uh, Atlanta Comic Convention. So they attempted to have, uh, they attempted to have an event in July and they were, they were shut down. So they, they claimed that they had, uh, you know, a permit or whatever, but they, I mean, they they were just lying through their teeth the whole time because they, if they had a permit before, it was invalidated by the shutdown order and then the, uh, it's actually held within the city limits of Atlanta. So if they had somehow, if they had applied for anything in July, it wouldn't matter anyway because there was actually a, uh, I actually saw something where, like, for – you know, obviously, you know, the, the city makes a lot of money off of conventions, and the Mayor Bottoms actually came out and specifically mentioned their venue in a press conference and said that, like, Georgia Wall Congress Center and those other places were not allowing – you know, like, if you book this this event, like, we're just not allowing it, and, you know, you can sue anybody you want to sue, but the city is just – we're not allowing large public gatherings in the actual city, but I looked onto their page, and there were uh, – I went through and read, like, 200 comments from people saying that they were very excited about going uh, in July, including in that very thread. So you've got – I mean, there are a lot of people saying, hey, this is crazy. You know, if you go, you're going to catch it. You know, don't do it. You know, if you prepaid, ask for your money back. And I went through, and I actually saw someone – now, obviously, you know, it's the Internet, you know, you don't know what – why someone would fake things, but, you know, maybe they're just saying things, but there is a guy in that comment thread that claimed that he had tested positive, was actually in the hospital uh, for a week or two, Uh, you know, thankfully he made a full recovery, but he was then saying that he was going to go to this event in July, which, you know, thankfully was canceled, and the crazy thing is, you know, you're looking at this thread, and I was... I was going to take a screenshot, but then I was like, well, I'm not going to send this to anyone, but, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. But I was looking at that, and it's like 10 comments above him is someone saying, don't go, because theoretically someone there will have it, and then you can get it, and a bunch of people will get it. And then you go 10 comments down, and here's someone saying, I have it, and I'm going. And I'm like, it's not even theoretical anymore. And then I went, and that's why I read, like, 200 comments, because I was like, surely somebody saw this comment, right? Even though it's like, super buried down. I went down there, and I was just like, no one saw this. Oh my god. And they're still talking about billing. And so I look at that and I'm like, wow. That's, and that, that was in, you know, and, and that's in July. And it's actually the sort of nostalgia for, you know, like I said, large public gatherings has only increased since then. So I think the only variable there is how much, how much more time is there going to be between now and getting a vaccine? Uh, Trump obviously is going to try to hotbox things as much as possible. Uh, it looks like he's, so he said November, uh, you know, November, October is like what he is what he's trying to get to, which I don't think that can even, I'm not going to doubt that he's going to say that he has a vaccine, even when there, when there isn't one, but, I mean, you know, so it's like, yeah, so that's the thing. It's like, are we gonna, is someone going to be ready for human trials in North America in October or November? I mean, maybe. It's, it's, it is, it is theoretically possible that he could come out in, say, the third debate, debate in October and say, we have a vaccine now. I'm so great. Vote for me again. So that's the thing that could happen. Uh, and, fact would be forced to come out and say, well, he's lying, but it's not a full <laughs> lie because it's human trial. So therefore, there is someone <laughs> in this country that could walk into a hospital and get this thing. And if it works, they would just be cured and they would then be able to say, well, President Trump said this in the debate. I got this vaccine. I'm great. And But if it's July of next year, that might change people. But from where I'm looking at right now, people... For some things it looks like they're willing to just go right back to the way things were.
1: Well, I mean the other the other thing you I don't know if you thought thought about this um too much, but the other thing you haven't thought about or at least I haven't heard you say on this call is so if you get enough people getting out and doing things say now, right? By early October, our world is gonna be different. I mean, seriously, right? If you get enough people will willfully ignoring knowledge about this virus, or or not even ignoring it, but just sort of like, well, I you know I can't sue the business. I have to I have to live my life. Let's go, blah blah blah. Right? <laughs> you know, by October, it's going to be down to folk, as they say. You know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be people are going to know people. Like, everybody pretty much is going to know somebody, you know. And I just keep thinking, October's going to be a different world, man. <laughs>
0: you know? I think, so it's like, yeah, I mean, there's obviously, you know, it's always hard to, you know, predict the future and predict psychology. But the thing that I am, uh, I mean, I guess, like, so the, the the thing, you know, and this is obviously, you know, obviously, like, you know about this, but, like, the, the great thing about history is that when you're looking at something like this, if you didn't have anything to go on, it's really hard to just, you know, look into a crystal ball and have any, you know, like, I mean, anything could happen. I mean, there's, if you look at, uh, so again, you know, just from, you know, from July to August in June to August is not any great length of time, but any stretch of the imagination. But if you look back, uh, there's an interview with Michael Moore where in June or July, uh, he was claiming that it's, it was entirely possible that the Democratic Party might drop Biden as the nominee in response to certain things. And, you know, he was like, well, you know, maybe you know things could get worse and the virus is going to get worse and they're going to, you know, they might try to pull some shenanigans at the convention to see if they can find somebody that's going to be willing to, you know, campaign in person and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously like that, you know, hasn't happened. But you know, if you look at it like the interviewer, and you like he posted this on Facebook and like the comments, and you know, people looking at this and was like, oh, I don't know, maybe you know, Michael Moore, maybe he knows something. And you like I said, like if you if you don't have any sort of you know historical analogy to look at, you know, even you know something like that, you know, seems like oh, maybe it's possible. But the one thing that we can do is look at you know like the you know pandemic in 1918, and even though there's obviously a lot of differences, the, the thing is still, this is a situation where you had, I mean, they had sort of the, the same things that we're dealing with right now. So there was a, uh, I think it was in Ohio, where there was a, where very early on in the pandemic, but after they realized what was going on, there was a politician that had a rally and said, this is, you know, I'm, I'm running for re-election and, you know, who, who do, you know? these doctors don't know anything. That guy died a week later. So it's like pretty much like the same thing, you know, with, with Herman Cain. Except he died much quicker after the event, so he publicly said that doctors didn't know what they were talking about before the event. Said that at the rally, and then died at the rally, or no, not died at the rally, but he, he contracted it there and then died uh, about a week later. And but if he I think it was a that,
1: couple of weeks later.
0: but yeah, but it's like if if you look at that, you know that event, and obviously so there's variables there that we don't have, right? Because there's you know now people are calling it the forgotten pandemic. The people that lived through it, you know, didn't forget it. But as far as the national memory, <laughs> you know, there's things like they had just come back from you know World War One, and you know and there's obviously a whole lot of things happened. You know very you know very soon after that because you know for people that survived you know the quote quote you know quote unquote Spanish flu. So just a couple of years later, you've got uh, you've got the rise, so for people in Spain who survived this, just a couple years later, you've got the rise of, uh, of Franco. So they went from World War I, where they are worried about Germany taking over the whole continent, or maybe the whole world, to having the rise of fascism in their own country, and the pandemic is, for them, just the thing that happened in the middle of it. So when people are looking back and they're like, oh, well, what did, you know, if you're talking to your grandfather and you ask, well, what did your cousin die of? You know, you gotta sit there and think about it. Did he die in the war? Did he just come home and was just too exhausted and just, you know, died of exhaustion? Is the thing that you're thinking of exhaustion the pandemic? Was he shot by, was he shot by a a cop or someone in the military while protesting Franco? Did he die in the Spanish Civil War? I mean, or did your cousin actually make it all the way to World War II and just die in France trying to overthrow the Vicky regime? When you've got all these massive, when you've got an event that kills a million people and it, things like that happen back to back to back, the, the overall effect of that is, of the public consciousness is, you know, effectively nothing. But obviously, since we don't have all of that now, we're just, now we just have the pandemic. Or just the pandemic and, you know, maybe, maybe the rise of fascism. We hope not. The, <laughs> you know, like that, that, that's the thing. It's like we saw something like this. We saw something very similar, uh, to this within, li- within living memory. And the, I guess the, like overall effect of that is, you know, is effectively not, not exactly nothing, but they had, there were local elections. There's midterm elections that year. Now granted, people did die from going to campaign events and go, and you know, just standing in line for voting for four hours, you know, and and all that sort of thing, but there's, like, it seems crazy, but that, I mean, that is like one of the, one of the variables. Like, is it entirely possible that regardless of the death count, people will, like, there, there is some small possibility that people will just be so resistant to changing anything that there might not be any changes, even if it's, even if not changing things it's, itself causes some sort of like horrendous consequences, I mean just I mean, just look at the difference between, say, you know, how small towns in Italy have reacted to the virus versus how large cities in America have reacted, or you're again, you know, comparing small towns to small towns. that's The death count here isn't any the, the, for any comparison of, ta- of you know of settlement size. The death count here in almost any place is higher, so that the the fact that we're are, the the fact that we are where we are right now is already sort of like a warning sign that like it is possible like I wouldn't say that's the most likely outcome of all this, but it's it's possible
1: I'm curious what do you think the most likely outcome is?
0: I feel that um as far as, like, you know, with the, the virus and all the other, like, variables, uh, the most likely thing that I feel like is, from what we can see right now, is that we we get a vaccine, uh, the vaccine works, you know, basically on the same level, you know, the, as the same level of effectiveness as other vaccines, but a large, well, not a large, but a significant portion of the public decides to not get the vaccine. And then the thing that happens after that is – so there's – then the other thing that I'm kind of waiting to see if the – how, what direction the laws go is I – like, a month ago, I was thinking that what would probably happen is that to avoid legal liability and also just to avoid, you know, losing the businesses, I was thinking that maybe uh, large corporations would force employees to get vaccinated and that that would effectively – you know, correct any sort of problems with like, you know, resurgent, you know, anti-vax movement. But the way things are, yeah. things have been kind of moving, it kind of looks like we're going to be in a situation where, um, where maybe large corporations won't do that and that will just sort of, you know, trickle down. So I think that it's entirely possible that we could have, uh, roughly 30% of the American population just say, no, I'm not going to get the vaccine. So, what that's going to mean is that you're going to – so, say, you know, somewhere around like April, uh, I feel like, you know, somewhere in between April and July of 2021, uh vaccines, you know, should come out and, pe- you know, there'll be some sort of mechanism for getting that to people, even if it's just our, our regular, you know, multi-payer healthcare system, and as more and more people start to get vaccinated – Obviously, the, you know, death toll and the, you know, infections will go down. But then, so, like, the the next sort of, like, fork in the road is things like, you know, what happens when what's, what we – normally what happens is you have, you know, you've got a pandemic and you've got some sort of, you know, medical response to it, and then things sort of, you know, things sort of calm down because you sort of, like, boxed it in. But the problem is that we're in a situation where, at, at this point, you you kind of have to assume, like, effectively, you know, where many of the shutdowns would kind of assume that everyone has it. So for something like measles, you could have, like, a herd immunity because you've tracked measles into a very small percentage of the population, and everyone around them is vaccinated, so it's not really going to go anywhere. That is 100% not going to happen with this virus. So when we get to the point where 70% of the population has the vaccine, a lot of people are going to say, well, that's good enough, and then maybe they're going to slide into an anti-vaxxer thing. But it's not going to – the, the anti vaxx movement is not centered in one area or one region of the country. And because you've got – you know, we're not going to give the vaccine to toddlers, but they can still get the disease. We're probably not going to give it to kindergartners just because the first phase of the vaccine is just concerned about things like, you know, does this work? Does it complicate other things? You know, does this somehow you know kill people? You know, or, or something like that? We're not going to have trials in 2021 where we're asking if you just got the measles vaccine, how does this interact with the measles vaccine? So again, we're, we're not going to give it to babies. We're not going to give it to toddlers. We're not going to give it to kindergartners because they just got a whole bunch of vaccines. So everyone under say the age of eight is not going to get vaccinated next year, probably. And But they can still get the disease, and you've got all these anti-vax people spread going across the population. So the other crazy thing, like I said, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a pretty good vaccine. Most people are going to get it. There's going to be a big push towards going to things going back to normal. But then we're going to see things where the anti-vaxxers are going to start getting it. And that's something where, like, that's kind of like the event horizon to me is, like, I'm not sure – What's going to happen when we get to the point where we positively identify for any one area, everyone that every new case in say October of 2021 is going to be someone that's definitely an anti-vaxxer. And are people going to look at that and say, well, that's karma. That's what they get. Or are people going to look at that and say, this proves that it's all a hoax. The government is infecting the anti-vaxxers, uh, as like some sort of punishment. Right.
1: Oh, my God. And the other thing is, like, what happens if with, uh so QAnon at that point, I mean, whoever, I, I'm picking on QAnon, but whoever, right? Like, right. what happens if some other group uh just sort of infiltrates our political system that much more? You know, like,
0: <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, that's, I mean, It's always difficult to, you know, to predict the future, but I think just, like, just like in the last 30 days, a lot of this stuff has gotten, uh, is, you know, things have just sort of, you know, gone off the rails. Yeah, because there's, it's like, there's, there's so many, you know, there's so many different factors because, like, in the end of, or it was just like with sports. So, like, in the last two months, we went from a situation where it looked like all the major league sports were just going to take the hit. And say, well, like, we're not going to have seasons or or the seasons are, are going to be, you know, so greatly reduced that, like, we're not, you know, we're not really sure if it's even, even if we can do four games. But now, you know, you've got things where, you know, the Major League Baseball is doing, uh, I think it's 60 games this year. Mm-hmm. So basically they're rolling it back to uh, basically like the Babe Ruth schedule, you know, what they had back then. Which the fans are still, you know, disappointed about, but the fact that they're, the, the fact that they think that 60 games is a good idea is, like, that's, that's crazy. And not only are they doing the 60 games, like, they're still gonna have it, they're still in the stadiums, and they're, the teams are still moving, which I, I guess, you know, that, that, that part, like, it kinda seems obvious, but it's like, well, like, just two months ago, they were talking about, like, they were just throwing words, Like, they were just throwing things around. Like, some of these things that people were talking about at the press conferences, I'm like, are you just – is this just spitballing? Did you discuss all these ideas with someone? I mean, they were – so that they were talking about, you know, you you were hearing ideas like, oh, well, maybe we're going to have – we're going to just put all the leagues – you know, you're not going to have any, like, central league games or – In a bubble, yeah. Yeah, like, they were just going to say, like, every – like, all the four of the leagues, we're just going to stuff them all in one city, and they're all just going to be there, like – for the rest of the season together, or they were saying that we're going to have clusters of teams that just play each other and we're not going to say, well, this, these guys are going to play these three other teams. And then once you've played those three teams, so they're saying, it's like, well, is every team? It's like, yeah. So now they're saying every team is playing 60 games. But again, just two months ago, they were saying, well, maybe there might just be 60 games total for everyone. And everyone, every individual team is only going to play, you know, four games. Or the, I heard something the week before that where they were talking about some weird combination of just splitting, uh, having every team matched up with another team and they would play them a couple of times in the year and they would put them in the same city. And they went, they've gone from that to, oh no, we're just going to roll it back to the 20s. We're going to have, I don't know how many major league baseball teams there are, but like we're just going to have 50 of these giant organizations just hopping in airplanes. And, you know, we're, we're going to test everybody a whole bunch. And, uh, so, so in some cities they're playing to empty stadiums. Um, some stadiums, some places they're playing to stadiums that are, uh, heavily social, socially distanced. I've heard that there are some cities where they're, they're just saying one half of the stadium can't be, so it's like every other person or we're just, here's a whole block, here's a whole half of the stadium that no one can sit on. Uh, And they're, so it's not completely back to normal, but the idea is that, like, if they think that 60 games is appropriate, plus gear travel and all this other stuff, if they think that's appropriate right now, just imagine next year with any sort of vaccine, they might just say, well, oh yeah, we can go back to, I don't know what what the normal schedule is, like 120 games.
1: 162, 162.
0: Oh my God, it's so much baseball.
1: I love baseball a lot, but my thing is, like I heard today on the radio, I heard that, that I don't know if it's the SEC or, or who, who it is exactly, but anyway, UGA football is cranking up this fall. And I hear that and I'm like, Oh, that's a whole nother. Oh God, because when you get that, I mean, to me, at least around here, when you start showing people that college football can go, you know, to some degree or other, that's when, you know, the people on the fence are going to be like, all right, look, this is normal. We're, we're This is the new normal. Wear a mask or not. <laughs> but, you know, basically go with God. And I'm just like, I I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope I'm wrong, but I have a feeling like we're going to we're going to learn about, it. we're going to learn whether or not this was a good idea. <laughs> the whole, oh, yeah, like, no. let's open up. This...
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, you know? no, like there's, that's, we're definitely in the mess, you know, the mess around and, and find out phase. And we are, you know, like we've kind of, we've gone back and forth, you know, over the last couple of months. But here in the state of Georgia, we are definitely committed to messing around. And regardless of what anyone thinks, we are 100% about to find out. And so if you just look at the math, just like, yeah, so colleges that have opened in the state of Georgia at any level, uh, you know, public schools that have opened on any level, we have already seen what I guess you can call, like, you know, the, the yo-yo effect, With you know, you open up, you're there for a couple of days, someone tests positive, you close, and, you know, are, are we going to rinse and repeat? Or are we just gonna? Are we gonna go back to, you know, social distancing and you know, work, you know, working from home? Well, elementary schools are, you know, the elementary schools and middle schools and everybody. So right now they're they're doing the yo yo. So we're we're doing uh, phase one of mm. the yo yo. I've already seen. Uh, so just not even talked about like on the news. Just scrolling through my Facebook feed and listening to you know friends that are that are parents talk about their own schools. I've already seen two schools that have yo-yoed, where they opened uh, like last, like last week or the week before, and they're already closed. Week two of the school year, <laughs> there are schools that are closed. Any sort of googling on the news shows that like it's way more than just those two, even in, even in one county. And we are we've already yeah. had colleges that are doing uh, round one of the yo-yo, where they opened the whole college where people live there, and they're already had this. You know, people are already sending kids home, or they're, um, or they're talking about. Well, maybe we need to change certain policies, but we're not going to close it completely. So, with the with the schools, uh, with public schools, it's like, well, maybe we're going to. You know, are they going to do a couple runs of yo-yoing, or are they going to are, are they going to learn the lesson and not do it? But with the colleges, uh,
1: right? No, you go ahead, and then I have a thought because yeah. I, mean, I just had.
0: But, I mean, the thing is, you know, with, with, with baseball, at least people would, were saying that, like, well, you know, baseball is, you know, is kind of social distance already, right? The pitcher is nowhere near the, the batter and the catcher. The catcher's already got a mask on. You know, you've got umpire, he's got a mask on. Uh, You know, the only thing we're really worried about is, you know, interactions between, you know, someone running the bases and, and the different basemen, you know, and all that sort of thing. So you're like, okay, maybe base, baseball can reopen – uh Hasn't really been following like, what the NBA uh, has been up to, but definitely football is even with the mask. That seems like the most unsocially like there's you, there's no social distancing when you're like literally chasing someone down a field and tackling them, even with gloves and a mask on. It's like no, like you're the only thing that's worse than football is like wrestling. Like that's the 'cause then you're just like sweating on someone as a sport, like there's but yeah like that the the, the u g a like it's like I know people that that work there, and uh it's it's somehow even dumber than it looks from the outside they they are definitely messing around and they are definitely gonna find out and it's it's only gonna take a, a week, maybe two, and I, I don't know what the response to that is gonna to be, but they're uh UGA specifically is going off, is about to go off a cliff.
1: Well, the thing, okay, so the thing that I, this, honest to God, this thought just occurred to me because you you used the yo-yo analogy, right? So what some people might not realize is there's only so many times you're going to yo-yo before the mommies and daddies of the world are going to be like, no, 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 (laughs) we're not doing this again. You know, because I don't know about you, you know, I don't know about you, but what I've noticed is you can have somebody on hashtag Corona is a hoax and they're even printing up shirts and whatever else. Not really, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then their kid gets it or their kid's friend gets it or their wife's friend gets it or whoever. And then they start reading and then they start figuring out, right? Well, think about it. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing in this world more valuable to people than their children for a lot of folks, you know.
0: (laughs) I mean, like that's, yeah, like like that's the thing where it's like I felt like at at the beginning of this, you know, like in March and April and all that kind of stuff, I looked at what's going on and I I, I really felt very sure that like, oh yeah, like this whole, you know, because like the, the crazy thing about all this is that this type of situation, this is supposed to be the type of thing that, that America is good at. The, one of the, the thing that separates America from, you know, almost any other nation is that you can come up with the craziest idea you can think of. to like, oh, go, here's something that might be bad for people. And you'll find out that we have an entire government agency that just tries to fight this thing. So just like as a really weird example of that, um, the Dust Bowl. So here's a situation that in all of American history happened only once. A lot of nations – I mean, some people have had this happen a couple of times because of, you know, the climate and all that. Uh, Some nations have never had anything like that. But FDR was really concerned that this, you know, somehow might turn out to be a recurring thing, and he asked uh, his team to to look into it. And we – so part of the whole thing of the New Deal is he he got a report where he told economists, if you tell me how to stop this from happening again – I don't care if it's legal, I don't care if it's constitutional, you give me a solution, I'm going for it. One of the things he was told is that the Dust Bowl was part of the, the reason for the depression. So he created, uh, so he looked at what was around and he added something, uh, and now it's the, uh, I'm not sure, I think they already existed, but it's the U.S. Geological Survey. And if you talk to anybody, so like at GSU, uh, you look at anybody that has a degree in geology and almost all of them work for, uh, you know, work for USGS. And if you ask people, like, well, what do you do with a degree in geology? Well, you go to you go to work for USGS, and the entry-level job is testing the soil. Basically, you're going to go out to Kansas. You're going to go to they're going to tell you to go to this guy's farm. You test his soil. You give him this report, and this tells him if he can keep doing what he's doing right now, or if he needs to change crops. Or just have fewer crops and, you know, and all that sort of thing. We, so it's like, you know, there, and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it's turned out to be very good for a lot of other things, but again, we literally have an entire government agency that is really just there to stop this thing, to stop a theoretical event in the future that, I mean, it's like some people might say, well, you know, the dust bowl is, you know, is a confluence of a lot of certain events. It's not something that is a natural, result of having large-scale farming, as far as anyone knows, that might – those factors might never come together ever again. But we have this massive national organization devoted to stopping it. So when you look at something, you know, like the coronavirus, it's like, oh, man, this is great. We've got states that are subordinate to the federal government. We've got this $3 trillion budget. We've got, you know, all sorts of manufacturing capabilities – We ought to be good, right? Uh, there is a, uh, there is a report that came out two years ago that actually rated America as number one in pandemic preparedness. Specifically this scenario right here. Number one! And now we're at a point where it's like, gee, are Nazis going to take over the federal government during the apocalypse?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, one, one of the things I want to just say to that, and you're right, one of the things I want to just say to that, and you're totally right, is, yes, but those were different people. I mean, that was a, so, you know, I, I wonder, I'm, and I'm really, I'm, this is going to come out like a joke, but I really wonder. I, I wonder, I don't know is that if, If World War II happened again, or a type similar situation happened again, I don't know if we'd be willing to rise to the challenge, let alone able. Right, and that,
0: yeah. So it's definitely for me part of the uh, a big uh, effect on my thinking as far as you know the pandemic and everything is that, like I said, in March, April, I was very sure about what was going to happen, even. You know, not knowing, you know, the specifics about the virus just because, you know, we're – this is, like I said, pandemic preparedness was something that on the numbers we were unambiguously like number one, you know, in that before all this started. You could have asked anyone. And what has happened over the last couple of months is that I've become more and more uh uncertain about – I mean, just about everything. And there's, so I've I've kind of moved away from thinking, well, this is definitely what's going to happen or this is might going to happen, to just trying to figure out, like, where are the forks in the road where things could go? And then, you know, trying not to think about, like, well, this is, you know, when I see the fork, which, which way are we going to go? Now I'm just looking at, well, here are the forks, and then, you know, like, how are we going to rise? But as far as the whole, like, thing about World War II, oh, yeah, like, there, there's no – He's like, obviously, that's not something that's necessarily boring on the horizon right now. But especially with with Trump in office, the idea that if something were to happen in Europe, if you had, because I mean, that's what it looked like from a foreign policy perspective, right? I mean, when you're when you're in when you're in high school and you're learning about World War II, a lot of textbooks do have the, you know, the big map where they're showing you that literally every country on the planet, other than countries that were Declare neutral. And even then, a lot of those countries still were involved in the war effort or actually got attacked and things like that. So when you look at what the actual states were, you know, as far as, like, who actually has independence and can control things, you know, Switzerland says that they're neutral, but they still have, there's still people that, you know, their cause of death is listed as World War II. They're still involved economically. There's, you know, still not, you know, still an attempt to invade. So, if we had something that just looked like a war in Europe, is Trump going to get involved in that? No, no way. Like, but then I guess like the, the really sad part is you know there's also the idea of uh, you know the, that sort of mindset of everyone coming together, you know, and you know being involved with a common fight. Like, could we could we really have? I, I yeah, yeah, that whole situation just seems like unthinkable right now as far as so right now we're fighting to get everyone to wear a mask based on credible scientific evidence from you know doctors. Can you imagine like you um i mean there's so many of these like weird ration things right where you had um I've seen posters where uh, women were specifically asked to uh, not wear uh, to not to not buy nylon stockings, and also being asked to donate uh, used uh, stockings to the war effort. I've seen things where uh, there was also, um, I know it's related to aviation somehow. I, I forget like the specifics of it, but uh, there was a local thing where uh, the Air Force came out and asked, they had uh, ads that they ran in a certain area, and they were asking for or it might have been like a nationwide thing. The 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 story I was reading was from someone's perspective, so they didn't know. I guess they're not aware of whether that was a national campaign. But there was a thing where the Air Force said, or like the you know the Army Air Corps at the time, they asked. uh They said that like, well, we can't tell you the specifics of it, but there was a there's a thing that we're designing for a plane, and what we need right now is a strand of human hair. So if you're a woman that has more, you know, if your, if your hair was more than like 24 inches and you've never used any sort of chemicals on your hair, and they gave a specific list of like, if you're, if you wash your hair with this, that counts and you can't, you can't do it. So it's like, if you, if you've never put any of these products on your hair and you're willing to donate your hair to science, we want you. And there was a woman that came forward and she says, I've, will only washed my hair with water. And they took a sink with her hair. There's a test came back, and was like, oh, yeah, this is great. She cut off all of her hair and gave it to the war effort, and she found out later that they only needed, like, one strand, but they weren't sure at the time, so she cut all of her hair off, didn't give it to a cancer patient, didn't give it to, like, a kid that needed it. This was – she was only told the Army Air Corps needed it for something that would help the war effort. She cut all of her hair off on the vague idea that it would help the war effort somehow. That's and
1: just, it's astonishing when you put it all together, yeah. you know, that I don't think we do that now.
0: Right. As, and, as like, a country. Right, and like again, in that specific case, she was eventually able, um, there was something that came out where uh, someone was mentioning the, the part or whatever, so she, she did happen to find out, like, 20 years later, what they used her hair for. But that was like, it was, I mean, imagine, like, she could have just Not read that particular, it wasn't on the front page. She could have just not read the whole paper that day and would never have found out, and she would have been totally okay. And, like, so, and there's, there's hundreds of, of stories, like, I mean, or even, like, not even looking at the, at the specifics, right? Just looking at the overall view of America. The whole concept of victory gardens.
1: Reducing your, yeah, the whole concept of, so during the Spanish flu, like with my podcast during the Spanish flu, one thing that kept people alive literally kept people alive during Spanish flu was people would um you know they would go to somebody's farm basically and I guess you kind of see that now with like there's people moving back back home, so to say, from the city yeah. But that's not the same type deal, because even if you live in the suburbs, you're still, you know, you're still going to the store or having somebody go to the store for you. But Right. I mean, I don't know. Um, huh. Well, you we've been going at it for probably an hour and some change right now. Um, I'd love to have you back on the podcast at some point, because, you know, we have a whole lot of things we cover, um, I didn't even ask you about last week, (laughs) um, Jesus, um, I really want, um, hmm, would you be okay to come back on the podcast, because, I don't, right. I don't feel like having a podcast longer than an hour. <laughs> an hour and a half. Alright. Um next time you're on the podcast, I, I do want to talk specifically about the flat earth folks and all that. And also your, your, what you're covering the activism. Cause I think some of my listeners would just, re- I would love to hear it. I think some of my listeners would like to hear it too. At least I hope. But uh is there anything you'd like to say to one of the biggest independent podcasts in the world
0: <laughs> um, well I guess there's yeah i can't think of anything uh like specifically i think the uh the thing we mentioned at at the beginning uh I was just trying to look look it up uh so the case I was thinking of was uh in was uh, anthony johnson uh and then the the revolt was uh bacon's rebellion.
1: Uh, And this, okay, so just to refresh from the stone ages of an hour and 20 minutes ago, this was the the rebellion with the poor whites and the free blacks sort of revolted against the planter class. Right. Okay. All right. Um, that, yeah. So I'm going to have you back on the podcast at at some point. Uh, Yeah. yeah anyway um let me anyway so i'm gonna button it up right now and um but thanks for coming on and we're, i'm gonna have you back at some point for sure if you want to yeah, do this definitely. uh anyway definitely. this is alex johnson everybody of the history and i'm ben Kitchings to the history voyager and uh Thanks for coming on and have a good day. All right. Bye bye.